I can't tell you how many times in this work with people, I have a person sitting in that sacred space and they have a realization that sounds something like this. Oh my God, I'm not my pain. I'm not my pain. Mm. That gives me so many goosebumps because it's so powerful. Welcome to the Raw and Wild Hearts, a place where the raw, the unfiltered, the wild hearts gather to celebrate triumphs and hardships, learn from each other, grow together, and break down a culture rooted in fear. We will talk, we will laugh, and we will lean on each other about everyday life experiences that we could all use a little support through, and then we'll bask in the wild, magical beings that we are. My philosophy is that by embracing the dark, we may just let in the light. I am your host, Lori Rising, healer, educator, writer, adventurer, retreat leader, birth defender, and animal enthusiast and activist. Along with my wild heart sidekick kitty, Jesus the Brave, we'd like to invite you to get excited about the wild heart revolution. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. It's called Uncovering Our Cosmic Design with Micah Stover. Micah and I definitely dive into psychedelic therapy, which is her area of expertise. But really, I feel like today's episode is much more about the journey into finding the catalysts that resonate with your unique path into deep trauma healing transformation, and ultimately living from your innate greatness and majesty. Ooh la la. Micah comes into this evolution from MDMA, psilocybin, and trauma process work, while I come at it from our cells and body consciousness. But ultimately, we are definitely speaking the same language when it comes to identifying trauma, programming, limitations, and seeking out aligned therapies and protocols to access the root imbalance and ultimately integrating the new states of being into our human and physical lives. Okay, truth time. I don't love the way we sensationalize everything in this culture, even plant medicines, but I do love the results they are getting when utilized in a safe container for important therapeutic process work to take place. This is exactly why I wanted to chat with Micah today, to get super real about healthy and balanced ways into this world of ancient medicines that are getting a modern spin. And this is a disclaimer to the entire conversation. Neither Micah nor I are giving out medical advice here. We are offering knowledge from our experience in trauma healing work, but we are in no way telling you to start or stop medications or substances without the guidance of your trained healthcare professional. This exchange is for informational and knowledge purposes only. Please, please seek out a holistic healthcare team that listens to your needs and offers a safe space to explore ways to unlock your robust wellness and that greatness and majesty that we will talk about often today. But I'll tell you what, Mike and I get so fired up today because we know about all of the potential you have just waiting to expand, just waiting to be freed in this human experience. 
So this exchange is, of course, happening in divine time since I'm in the beginning of my first iteration of my Awaken Your Life Force digital course offering that does all of this and more. And guess what? I'm opening the doors again to you listeners to jump into the course at the launch price. As these weeks unfold, I'm amazed by how spirit has moved me to include unbelievable amounts of knowledge where you will always get forever access to the replays to come back to these powerful guides whenever you need. I'm taking my two decades of experience as a trauma-informed healer, a transpersonal hypnotherapist, meditation guide, pelvic bowl therapist, and ritual facilitator to guide you into your divinity within your cells, your body consciousness, your innate wisdom, your astral guide support system, and your life force. Sarah says, so grateful to you, Lori. Thank you for lighting some fire in my life. I really like the direction it's going right now, and it's largely due to incorporating the practices from the course so far. And this course is creating such magic. I woke up today to a call to get back to the retreats as well. So I'll be announcing very soon the dates of the next retreat in spring of 2022 near Todos Santos, Mexico on the Baja Peninsula. So make sure you hit me up, send me a message, get on the wait list so you can be the first to join in these life-changing experiences with me in person. I cannot wait. And lastly, I just want to say I have wildly powerful digital downloads for sale, but that there are also bonuses in the course, and they're creating immediate shifts in the lives of those who are intentionally practicing them. Heather says, the meditations have become a part of my daily routine. I haven't missed a beat and have no intentions to. Even on the most hectic of days, I purposely find the time to listen. My bloating has drastically decreased and my patience is off the charts. I couldn't have asked for more divine time during the busiest time of the year for me professionally. My stamina is on point too. And to that, I say, yes, queen. If you want to read more testimonials, head on over to my website, check all this goodness out. And I'd like to say... Just to get your wheels turning right now, that the gift of knowledge and health this holiday season is one that keeps on giving. It creates an investment in another's experience that we've all been conditioned not to do for ourselves. And these types of digital gifts are so eco and earth friendly and they change people's lives. You also get to support small business, which is how we make deep shifts in the collective consciousness and wealth distribution on this planet. I personally thank you from the depths of my heart and spirit if any of my offers move you to invest for yourself or your loved ones, especially this holiday season and beyond. Oh, and (laughs) I threw in some Beezus the Brave and Van Life podcast merch to boot in case you wanted some adorable apparel and accessories to hit the road with. Okay. On to today's inspiring exchange and episode. Raised by evangelicals in Tennessee, Micah Stover now resides in Mexico with her family. She works as a trauma midwife and a psychedelic guide. Micah is a survivor of sexual abuse and anorexia. She specializes in working with women healing from sexual and psychological trauma by resetting their nervous system and somatic body relationship, leveraging entheogens as a tool to facilitate the process. 
Micah has a forthcoming memoir chronicling her path to heal intergenerational sexual trauma with MDMA, psilocybin, and guided psychotherapy. Please welcome Micah Stover. Hello, Micah. Thank you for joining the Wild Heart Revolution. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is a special one and we are going to get into it. But first, as always, I like to start with a toast or a prayer to the wild heart warriors in our light, especially our dark and in all of our magic and glory. May we continue to elevate consciousness through honesty, humor, humility, gentle care, soul wrenching growth and ownership and to us and to the catalysts that take us on deep dives into our soul's evolution. Mm. Cheers, Cheers, baby. I love that. Yes. I love it too. I'm really excited about this conversation because you and I come from different angles into this same like soul explosion, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is what I want to call it because that's what we need. I feel like we almost need to go so much further with our language because we're just taking baby steps Mm -hmm. into what we can be into our full greatness Mm -hmm. in lives. And Mm -hmm. so let's go back into our history. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know each other because of the birth of your first son. Mm -hmm. So you came into my hypnobirthing class for the birth of your son, which was a huge catalyst into your soul's growth and evolution and healing. But take us back a little bit to that time working with me, how that really shifted your life so dramatically during that time as well. Yes. My gosh, I I get goosebumps just thinking about that time because that was really the beginning of just a radical transformation. And everything about your prayer that you open with really resonates with that experience. So, you you know, I would say sort of pre and post the birth of my oldest son, Ezra, I was kind of Before he came along, I had a really, really solid intellectualized understanding of my trauma, of my story, and it was so solidly intellectualized that I really thought I was, I was okay. And I had it all resolved. (laughs) And amazingly enough, I had a, I had a dream about my little guy, like two years before he was born. And in the dream, he said to me, you know, I know you and I've been watching you and I pick you to be my mom. At that point, I wasn't sure I wanted to have kids. So that alone was noteworthy. And then he said, you know, I'm going to help you finish what you've started in your life. And then he told me, and I want you to call me Ezra. So as I'm like remembering this dream and in the hours after waking in the morning, I'm Googling, what does Ezra mean? And it means helper. It's just amazing. So Fast forward, I think it was like two years later that we got pregnant and that was following a lot of challenges in getting pregnant, multiple miscarriages, fertility issues, people telling me, oh, well, you waited too long and all sorts of stuff. And so we walked into your hypnotherapy class, just like heart open, full of love and, and so naive. I feel like when I think about that sweet couple then and who we are now, 
And we had all of our visions for the birth plan. I mean, I read Ida Mae Gaskin, like, you know, an evangelical reads the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) I did ravenously. And I had just this whole vision for, for childbirth and pregnancy being the process where I really reclaimed my essence of femininity lost through traumatic experiences of my life. Well, my pregnancy, God bless, was fraught with complications, starting with hyperemesis. And then I had a placental abruption. And then I had another one. And then I had preeclampsia. And then I had an emergency C-section because both of us were ultimately in danger. So every vision that I had informed from all that INMA was like the opposite of what I actually experienced. And I also, this, the like synchronicity or the cosmic design, if you will, is not lost on me in hindsight. When I think about that dream and him telling me he came to help me, because so often the things that do catalyze us, it's not the light, it is the dark. Mm-hmm. And I was in a world of dark shadow and pain just through that whole experience of what does this mean for me? I'm never going to reclaim my lost feminine you know, Pandora's box. And, and I was like up to my eyeballs in that Pandora's box when the NICU team was, okay, you guys are so lucky. You're awesome. You get to go home now. And (laughs) I remember telling one of the doctors, um, no, we can't leave. None of us are okay. Mm. And he sort of looked very scared and concerned, but was like, no, you're intellectually, you're fine. All the test results say you're fine. And so that was the beginning of a pretty intensive healing journey that, that followed from that. That was not a path I ever would have imagined myself taking, including going into the world of psychedelic therapy. So I'll pause there because that's a long, long answer for me, but that's how really how our journey started, which is amazing. Right. I mean, there's so much there to talk about, um, especially the cultural programming and the inner critic, the judgments, you know, even you talked about it before, like the way that people will say things to you when you're going through a process as a former childbirth educator, my biggest frustration was when a mother and her child and or partner went through extreme birth trauma and they went home and were told, at mm-hmm. least you have a healthy baby. That's the extent of our medical system. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that is such mm-hmm. a low bar mm-hmm. because our experience matters. Are we going to have trauma all the time? That's being human. The fact that somehow we're sold this narrative that having trauma makes us less than unpacking our trauma or like looking at it, we're just supposed to suppress it and keep going and move forward and like be happy that our child is alive. I mean, that's just one example of Uh how our soul's evolution and really the deep healing that we're here to do gets negated over and over and over where we question ourselves. Totally. 100%. I mean, wow. I I feel so blessed that by the time that experience started happening in my pregnancy, I already had an amazing holistic team of supportive care. You being one of those people. Um, And that anchored me in like 
the ancient sort of spirit wisdom of what was going on. Thank God, because, you know, we ended up in, I mean, I was on bed rest in the hospital for pretty much six weeks. Mm. And in that six weeks of being in the hospital, though, on some levels, I do believe like scientifically speaking, they did everything they could to keep my baby and I safe. And I have deep gratitude for that. And also there was only one doctor in the 20 plus that worked with me in those six weeks that I feel like looked at me as a human spirit and not just a problem to solve or diagnose. It was astounding to be, that's a kind of objectification process. And it wasn't even conscious that they were doing it. They're just so in their methodology. And, and ultimately, I think the methodology that they come from, you know, has an offering. And it's also a lot about control. How can we control outcomes? Well, here's my question. What if we're not actually supposed to be in control of everything all the time? Exactly. I mean, actually, it's our level of control in this culture that creates a lot of the suppressed trauma that stays in our bodies and in our cells. And as you were talking about that, you know, I'm feeling into it. And I mean, really, we're lacking so much in holistic care. We really started seeing such a decline in our mental health especially in our healing processes, when we separated the mind from the body, right? The body just became an object that we do medical procedures to, and we feed it drugs in order to take care of the symptoms. When we're actually looking at the holistic person, Mm -hmm. the soul, the spirit, the energy, the physicality, when we take all of that together is when we actually get to true healthcare, our innate ability to shift things dramatically. But when we're in a situation, when we're not even being acknowledged as that full spirit and that full human with all of our feelings and capacity, Mm -hmm. that is when our healthcare declines. 100%. One of my most favorite quotes of time, Gandhi said, there's no illness of the body apart from the mind. And I would just footnote to that, the mind or the spirit, right? Like, Mm -hmm. There's a correlation between our physiology and our metaphysics, right? And so our most optimal opportunity for being is when there is alignment, connectivity between those two things. You know, again, just to restate, because it's so paramount in importance, had I not had a holistic team outside of that hospital, had I not had that foreshadowing dream of my son, I think the, the, the like climate of fear in that hospital space and state would have been not only detrimental to my psychological state on a deeper level, but physiologically it would have had impact because again, these two things are connected, whether we want them to be or not, right? What happens to my cortisol level when everybody's constantly talking about what's about to go wrong? Uh, What I needed were those voices saying, this is going to be okay. This can be okay. And that's all what we get access to when we tap in at a deeper, more metaphysical layer. So this is what I want to get into because 
it's the catalyst into our soul's evolution. And I go into it through the cells, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm a soul intuitive and embodiment coach. And I've been doing this work for over 20 years with John Barnes, who's a very revered visionary into releasing the emotional and physical trauma that is held within our cells in the tension and tightness that our culture has created in our bodies. Mm -hmm. Now you have taken different paths into those catalysts mm -hmm. for soul healing. So let's hear a little bit more about that because I want to have a, a really fun discussion about this. <laughs> okay, sure. So, um, well, the shortest version of the story, well, I'll just cut to the chase. So I now work as a psychedelic guide. And what on earth does that mean? I mean, it's becoming more sort of centrally known in the culture. Um, but basically, I worked with different medicines that are often referred to as entheogens in a very intentional set and setting to support people in working with with their own self-healing capacity and the support of the medicines and how they function within the body to break through some of those barriers of defenses, coping mechanisms, et cetera, et cetera, to get to that tenderest part inside. Um, how did I come to that path? Well, footnote back to that very intense birth experience with my oldest son, Ezra, and coming home with this tiny preemie and just for me, a landmine of unresolved complex PTSD. And the combination of being totally terrified that I might still lose him because that's what they spent six weeks telling me was going to happen. And the fact that, you know, my heart was coming back online. My root was coming back online because of this love that I felt for this, this child that I just gave birth to. And suddenly I became really consumed in thinking about things like epigenetics. What does it mean if I have residue of trauma inside me that I inherited from my parents? And it's, I understand it in my brain, but I can't feel it in my body. Then I'm going to mother him and potentially pass that on to him. And that was totally unacceptable to me. And so I can be kind of intense <laughs> and I just was relentless in, in this feeling of, I have to eradicate these things at the root. And at that time, a lot of the cl clinical trial results were just starting to come through around psychedelic therapy and the efficacy of that work, specifically as it relates to using MDMA as a medicine to work with people who have profound trauma, psilocybin, which are mushrooms, as well as other medicines like ketamine. And without going too deep into the backstory, I'll just say that as a, a young girl, when I was like 16 or 17 to qualify, what does young girl mean? I had a very profound eating disorder that nearly cost my life. Basically, I passed out at the wheel of the car and had a, a terrible car crash. And I emerged from that car crash, another little death life experience where my physical body was okay. I had a couple cuts and scrapes, but my like spirit had been in a coma and was suddenly awake and like, I'm not going to live. If I keep going this way, I will die. And I don't actually want to die. So that brush with death was an invitation to live. 
And I had been raised in a really rigid evangelical context where from the get-go, people were telling me I was going to go to hell for something. (laughs) Almost certainly, imminently, that was going to happen. Up to that point, I followed every rule in the book, trying so hard to like get out of the hellfire and brimstone. So after that, I thought maybe I need to try some different things. It wasn't a cavalier decision. It was more of like a curiosity meets desperation. And so I had experiences. And again, this was like at 17 or 18 years old without a guide. So not what I would advise for people now. But the first thing I did was buy cannabis. And that was actually an incredible tool for me because I hadn't really consumed food or digested food for almost two years. My body forgot how. Mm. Cannabis helped my physical body be able to process and digest food. And then I thought, well, gosh, if that works, and they told me that was the devil and it's not, maybe I'll see what these other things might do. And so I had very limited experiences because just as a reminder, I was still like pretty saturated in that evangelical fear, even though I was starting to be curious. The one experience with MDMA in that experience, the message was you are worthy of love. And that may sound like not so novel. It was novel to that young girl in me. She genuinely didn't know that, didn't believe that, didn't feel that. That message in an embodied experience was a catalyst for changing my life. Um, I had a similar sort of experience, isolated with psilocybin. The message in that experience was, you're not the problem. Everything else, the, the rest of the stuff is the problems. Your inherent nature is good. So I sort of filed those like really critical data points on my grid of self, if you will. And I think because that was in the lexicon of me, when I found myself in a similar state of crisis after my son was born, and now there was all this mounting sort of clinical results from experts who knew about these things, plus my own lived experience, I thought that's the direction I need to go. Because Everything else I'd done, you know, and it had been a lot, decades of talk therapy, alternative healing, all of which I would say had value and merit and impact, but I couldn't get past my brain. Yep. I couldn't get fully Mm -hmm. in my body, but I would always go back to the stories and the defenses. Now it's been almost six years of working with these medicines. And I should also say as a footnote, when I decided I was going to do this, I said to my husband, I'm going to do three ceremonies. And after that, I'll be better or I won't, but I'll get back on with life. (laughs) Now, I don't know. It's a very different picture. But I think somewhere along the line, the medicine helped me understand this. This is not new. The clinical trials are maybe new. But indigenous people have been working with these medicines and tools for all of time, the same way people have been having babies for all of time. So I don't mean to sound cavalier about it, but I also want to underscore that this is not new. And the way in which we're talking about it in the culture is new and needs to be handled with critical, critical care, discernment, responsibility, integrity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) my thought as you were saying that is I'm just I'm so heartbroken 
that we have such a programming, such an intense, deep subconscious programming in our world that makes kids, makes children feel so lost and Mm -hmm. so alone. It's gotten so big, this, this programming of fear of lack of our worth being based on our productivity. Our worth isn't based on us being human beings with these souls and these spirits living together. It's on our productivity. Like, what can you do? What have you done? What can you accomplish? Like, how hard can you go? How hard can you push? Yeah. On all the success measures have been placed outside instead of inside. Mm, Absolutely. And and so we're chasing after these illustrious things that we've been told, oh, you do this, you get this, and then you'll feel better, but you get this and you don't feel better. And then you feel worse and you're further and further and further from yourself. And then there's this conditioning around this like binary state of consciousness, as if things are either right or wrong. And this is what I say to clients all the time. There ain't no right or wrong. It's just conscious or unconscious. Conscious choice or unconscious choice. And the mainstream sort of like vibration is unconscious autopilot, just doing and not, and I, and I don't even mean that from a place of like judgment and contempt, but more of, oh, makes my heart ache because the, the unconscious sort of autopilot is fueled by the systemic indoctrination, like flood of messages around doing and doing and getting and receiving. Uh, I could go on and on, but it's all sort of coming from the wrong. It's again, it's external, not internal. Well, right. And this culture has created an environment where we have to survive Mm because we live in a benevolent universe. We have extreme abundance on this planet and it is so wildly unbalanced. I think that when our needs are met, it's not our lifestyle needs. It's not like, you know, how many cars can we have? It's our true nourishment. Like what is the nourishment of the soul? That's the needs. When we're met with understanding and empathy and compassion for our trauma, then Mm -hmm. we have that nourishment of the soul where we're not reaching for the addictions because we're not being told that we're wrong or, you know, our inner critic is getting bigger or we're judging ourselves because we're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. I mean, so the, so what we're talking about here is the catalyst to the soul's evolution. And basically my take on plant medicine, but it's, you're doing plant medicine and psychedelics because I've been doing this work, this John Barnes work for over 20 years. And the moment that I had my first body unwinding, it was the moment I went into my true source energy and transcendence. When your body releases traumas Mm -hmm. from lifetimes, from parallel Mm -hmm. lifetimes, from this lifetime, from generations before you, the traumas of your ancestors, Mm -hmm. our linear mind control suppresses it. Mm -hmm. So when you learn this work, when you can tap into that source energy, you actually have to learn to turn the brakes off and the brakes are our mind and it's our control. And that's everything we've learned how to live our lives is through control. So Mm -hmm. it's a big switch. Mm -hmm. But when you can actually access that switch, it becomes real easy. Mm -hmm. And so what I've noticed with psychedelic therapy and and plant medicine is that's the switch. Mm -hmm. So it actually bypasses learning 
how to do it ourselves. And it gives us that catalyst in the beginning to getting past the mind control, like getting Mm -hmm. into the source energy. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I want to talk about a little bit more because I found it naturally. I found it through this body Mm -hmm. unwinding. Mm -hmm. And also I do feel like we have a culture that's so deeply ingrained in these dangerous narratives and messages Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I can appreciate that we have these ancient medicines to actually access the source energy that can give us a path to doing it on our own. So can you get a little deeper into that um, journey? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I'll say is to just affirm that I think it is absolutely reachable, attainable, doable, achievable, whatever verbiage you want to use in ways that don't incorporate psychedelics. Because the psychedelics aren't the magic. The magic is the spirit. The psychedelics, as with any modality of healing, body work, therapy, is a conduit to tap into that potentiality within within self. Mm -hmm. What I think is um, happening with psychedelics, there's a couple of things. So I specifically work with MDMA, which is not a plant medicine, so to speak, but it functions in a similar way as psychedelics. So it's kind of put in that larger category. I also work with psilocybin. They're very different medicines. So I'll just speak a little bit to why do I use which one when, because this is part of the response to your question. So if a client comes to me and they have profound trauma from specifically of a sexual variety, um, specifically early childhood, like formative years of safety that got hijacked by trauma. And I can see and recognize pretty quickly that they're suspended in a kind of state of fight or flight. Then I will suggest almost always, unless it it doesn't, there's like a strong disconnect for them that they start with MDMA. And here's why. MDMA specifically works in conjunction with the amygdala in the brain. The amygdala is sort of the control center, if you will, of fear responses, which often, as we've alluded to throughout the conversation, manifest as attempts to control. Because that's its job, to keep us safe. But what happens when we have these really intense violations in early childhood or around our most sacred sexuality part of self is the amygdala gets stuck in fight or flight response. The amygdala cannot differentiate time. It's not like a linear machine. It's just that happened and I'm frozen there. So what you see is that people are constantly living in that place and they may have moments of like, aha, in profound body work, in a therapy breakthrough session. But once they step out of that, like really controlled container, their body goes back to fight or flight because the neural pathway in the brain is set at that. And it's been there for however many years since that trauma happened. So what we know from research is that to actually form a new neural pathway in the brain that then becomes one that will be 
repeated consistently takes time. And so the power of using a tool like this is that it helps to expedite that process by allowing the person's amygdala to sort of step back and the wounded spirit can sort of come forward and a kind of recalibration process takes place. And from that experience, the net result is a new neural pathway that's established and actually like kind of a paved path. (laughs) And so then with the right sort of support and post-integrative care work, you can really go back and continue to pave that path to make it more accessible so that when the person is in real time and space in their life, they're like, oh yeah, I have a new path. I actually want to try that one instead of the the old one, because the old one is really familiar, but it makes me feel like shit. So that's really powerful. Maybe I'll pause for a minute because that in and of itself is a lot of information. And then I can tell you more about psilocybin, but I give you a chance to ask any questions that you may have. Right. Yeah. I think everything that you're saying is so important for people to hear because their studies we, we, it's like, we, we know so much within ourselves, but we have this reliance on studies <laughs> because we've been so trained to be mm-hmm. like in mind control. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are studies about depression and how they create those neural pathways and that mm-hmm. becomes normal. So we actually get really comfortable in our pain mm-hmm. because we have a culture that celebrates our pain. Yes. And then it becomes really hard to find the avenues and the pathways out of our pain because we, then we don't have the energy to create a new practice that takes the time to get us to the new neural pathways. So I hear what you're saying that the MDMA can basically be a time collapser on this because it's really hard when we're not feeling good, when we're feeling unwell to stay in like a manifestation practice, a meditation practice or an alignment practice, because we don't feel well, we're creatures of habit. And we have been creating these mindsets through habit, through our media, sending us Mm -hmm. messages over and over and over for years. And it's come Mm -hmm. in through generations before us. Mm -hmm. So to make these big changes and these deep shifts, I can absolutely see how this therapy can be super important. But I also want to point out what we talked about on our pre-chat that you need a fucking protocol. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about that. Yeah. So I want to tell you all about the protocol, but I want to say just two things in response to what you just said, because it's really important and it actually relates to the protocol. So the first one is that I can't tell you how many times in this work with people, I have a person sitting in that sacred space And they have a realization that sounds something like this. Oh my God, I'm not my pain. I'm not my pain. Mm. That gives me so many goosebumps because it's so powerful. And it goes at the heart of what you were just saying. When we live from this place, we mistake over time that the pain is actually who we are. It becomes suffused with our identity. And sometimes we need a spirit door to be pulled open enough for us to see that is not the truth. Mm-hmm. We are not our pain. Okay. So that is numero uno important. And the other piece of it is that again, to go back to something else that's running through the whole conversation, this sort of like 
conventional, you know, clinical approach is to give people drugs, Mm -hmm. SSRIs. Well, it's really hard when you are numb to a certain degree to access the energy, the resource, the creativity to be able to etch out new neural pathways. And I, I say this not lightly because I, SSRIs, I think are sometimes needed. I'm not anti them. I'm not really anti anything necessarily, except for all the bad stuff that we've been talking about, about mass consciousness. But I think that so often they're just de facto. This is what, oh, I'm experiencing anxiety or depression. Well, let me give you this tool. Well, the thing about it is that, you know, maybe it will turn down the volume on the dark thoughts. But it's not a sophisticated enough tool that it can discern the dark and the light. So what it does is turn down the volume on all the things. Mm -hmm. So maybe you don't feel so anxious, but you also don't feel the joy or the love. And that's a problem too, right? So this is where I think these sorts of tools have have a capacity to engage in the mental health conversation in a different way. In part because these tools in a therapeutic setting are also not intended to be like a habitual thing that then you necessarily do or take like a prescription for the rest of your life. So now let me segue into your question around protocol. Hang on. I just want to say about SSRIs, absolutely. Our Western medicine can be critical in very acute situations. I want to make this difference between acute and chronic because yes. that is where science is such a miracle Totally, with preemies, right? Totally. With, with, we are so good at keeping premature babies alive and well with our science. So hallelujah. Right. And, and if you're in a, in a mental health state that you need help immediately, Absolutely. It's an acute situation. They can change something that needs to be shifted in order to get you out of that acute situation. But the problem with our medical system and culture is the habitual. We don't have a follow-up even Mm -hmm. with birth. We don't follow up. Okay. We did. We got the outcome we wanted. We got you out of the acute situation. Now just continue. It negates the potential of healing. It negates the potential that we have to go so deep into our trauma, to release it, to uncover the greatness that's under it, the greatness of our soul. And so even with SSRIs, like we need more, we need more accountability. We need more nurturing. We need people that want to go deeper instead of just putting a bandaid on it and saying, this is the rest of your life because it came from somewhere. Right. So we need to look at where, not just the symptoms, where is the root cause? The root cause. I was about to say the exact same. What's the root cause? Yeah. And, that's, and it takes work. And our culture doesn't necessarily like work because we don't have time. We're on a hamster wheel. Right. We don't have time to like invest in the work because right. we're just trying to survive out here. Right. There's that. And there's also, and, or the defenses are so taught Mm -hmm. to keep that wounded child safe that we're trying, but we can't get there. Mm -hmm. We can't access it. It's like, there's a barricade around it. We can't access it because our environment doesn't give us the tools. 
to access it. So we're just basing this on what we've learned throughout our lives. And when there's no tools to go deep into the root cause, then we just, we're like, oh, well, this is what I get. This is the medicine that I have. I guess I'll take it. Yeah. I want to feel different. Right. Like this is the best it can be. So, okay. Right. You're the expert and you're telling me. Right. And it's such a low bar, such a low bar. So protocol. There's lots of conversation culturally about this now, and I'm so glad because as the the clinical trial results continue to pour through, and now we're on like round two and round three, where when I started, it was just round one. And this this has been a long journey unfolding over 20 something plus years before we got to the clinical trial stage. But what is different now and excites me is that as we have the, the, the results showing the efficacy of this work, more people who were skeptics before or uncomfortable with it before are saying, oh, okay, so this is something to take seriously. Here's some research money so that we can really study and understand at a deeper level what's going on here so that it's not accidental wins, but intentional outcomes, you know, and, and that's, that's great for me as a practitioner working in this world, because whilst I see so much amazing stuff happening, the absence of protocol scares the shit out of me, just to put it bluntly, because I mean, I I was in a training just last week and somebody said, this world feels like the wild west. And it made me shudder because I knew what they're talking about. They mean that in the sense of there's not a lot of regulatory oversight. There's a lot of folks who are claiming to be able to hold that space for people, but they've not really done training. And these are altered states of consciousness. It's profoundly vulnerable and it needs to be handled with the same sort of care that that team handled my preemie. Because we're talking about the the tender soul of a wounded child inside. It's like a, it's so precious and sacred. So for me, the protocols are all informed by the clinical trials that have been done through an organization known as MAPS, um, which anyone who's working in, in this world or who's done preliminary exploration would be familiar with MAPS. And if not, I would encourage you to to familiarize yourself because they are kind of the premier entity driving the research and the legalization, mainstream legalization of this work. And so the baseline of their sort of model for efficacy with this work is one, there needs to be some preliminary evaluation to ensure that you're you're ready to do this kind of work that you actually know what this means, that from a physiological, psychological standpoint, you're stable to step into this kind of mind altering experience. And then that all transpires over a body of time before you actually step into the medicine space. So it's not like, okay, I'm ready, let's do it. Let's crack my my brain and my heart open. No, not safe you know, and then following the actual altered state of consciousness or psychedelic experience, you do a body of integrative work. And for most people, I would argue the integrative work is 
is as much, if not more impactful than the actual psychedelic space. The psychedelic space is maybe where that portal gets opened up, but it's not until we come back down into earth and our body and we work to translate the insights of that experience into what does it mean to live in this body, in this world, with those new neural pathways in place? Yes. And I'd like to add, why are we not investing billions in mushrooms? Not just psilocybin, but like mushrooms that eat plastic. They're amazing. Yeah. They're like a superpower. And we have money. Like this is something that we should be putting our dollars towards Mm -hmm. and putting our votes towards because this is sustainable healing for people and the planet. I just, I brought this up on my Instagram because I had posted it a while back and I wanted to share just a couple of things here. And one of my posts was that in a study on psilocybin, which is what we're talking about now with medicinal mushrooms and depression, it was shown that having just one mystical experience dramatically shifted and oftentimes eradicated depression symptoms. I don't remember where this came from, but I had heard someone talking about this with the age of Pisces, right? If we want to get a little into the astrology Mm -hmm. and in the age of Pisces, we really ramped up these systems. We created all these systems, right? The educational system, the financial system, the medical system, you know, that we all, we gave them our power. It was Mm -hmm. like, everything else is going to take care of life for us. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we negated what's inside and all of our innate wisdom and health and every, all the power that we have to create such wellness for ourselves. And it makes sense to me that a lot of mental health symptoms may have come because we were negating the God within us. Mm-hmm. in order to abide mm-hmm. by this God without us, that everyone was telling us was the truth. Those messages, they are not to be taken lightly. And mm-hmm. we are, we are telling children this, mm-hmm. right. Instead of like helping them find this source energy that they That's came right. into these bodies with, I just wanted to share the other one that I put, and this isn't about psilocybin, but a study is finding that cancer patients from 9-11 are surviving their cancers more than any other group. Why is that? It's Hmm. probable that because they're receiving wonderful care, not having to cancel any appointments or worry due to money stress and are being driven to their appointments, that they're contributing to their healing rather than their sickness. So you see how our environment is absolutely critical in our health and wellness. And we have created such a volatile environment. It's true. I mean, I go back to our choice to live where we live now and how dramatically different the environment here is and how that informs my kids' sense of curiosity, their sense of freedom to be wild and raucous in ways that were never acceptable for me and the the ways in which that is like a bomb on my central nervous system. We can be such a product of our experience, 
right? Mm -hmm. So when people don't go out and experience the world and travel the world, like they're limited to the messages that they've gotten in their environment and it it decreases our capacity for curiosity, for adaptability, for resiliency. Like these are my go-to words now in our new earth rebuilding (laughs) and our revolution that we came in with a curiosity that's been shut down for centuries. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's been replaced by judgment. Mm-hmm. And we've judged ourselves into incapacitation. We've judged ourselves into reacting to life circumstances out of fear and limitation. Yes. I remember when you told me that y'all were moving to Mexico, I was just my heart I was like, oh my gosh, it's amazing that you're just doing it. The thing that I want to say is we can get in our way, but it's not us. That's not mm-hmm. us. It's the programming. It's what we've taken in for years subconsciously without our knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yes. On this topic, I want to say something else because this is important. We've discussed this. It's come up a little bit in this conversation, but this concept of a psychedelic experience is not limited to taking psychedelics. It's just a way of qualifying a certain kind of experience in which the spirit door opens, the portal expands, and we can kind of change. We get like plasticity around the dimensions, if you will. And there's all sorts of ways to access that. I do strongly believe that another way to access that is travel. Um, One of the other most profoundly psychedelic and transformative healing experiences I had as a young, younger person was to move to Asia and spend five years there. That totally changed my internal external construct because there's something about being cast out of everything that's familiar and known into something that's new and foreign and different that catalyzes a reconstruction, a death process, and a rebirth. Mm. Yes. It it casts us out of the control that we've Mm -hmm. created around ourselves. Yeah. So back to the psychedelic Mm -hmm. experiences, I do want to say, cause this is an, and you touched on it a little, especially Mm -hmm. when we're talking about protocols and why it Mm -hmm. is so important when you're using this therapeutically to have someone that you trust right? Mm-hmm. That you can be fully vulnerable with. Cause when we can go into our full vulnerability, there's the transcendence. That's oh. what I would try to get through in birth. When I'm like, you need to have people in the room that, you know, you can be fully vulnerable with that. You can mm-hmm. be naked with metaphorically or actually, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because if you can't, that's going to come into your experience. It's going to mm-hmm. limit your experience with any of these, um, catalysts that are, I want to say substances that actually create that opening for us, they Mm -hmm. can blow your chakras open. So Mm -hmm. that's where you have to have that guidance and you have to start very small. So -hmm. when people just go and do an ayahuasca ceremony, they down the tea and they're going through the process of the ayahuasca, that can really be a vulnerable state that takes you into a place that you were not ready for and your chakras were not ready for because we it's like a shock to the system. It's a shock to the chakras. Yes. 100%. If someone comes to me and says, I don't want to do all the prep work. I don't want to do the post work. I just want to have the session. I just say, I'm sorry. I can't help you. You need to find someone else because for me, it's too great of a risk. 
I'm not going to go there because you're absolutely right. This does blow the, the whole thing open in the most wonderful and intense way. And you need to be prepared for that. I mean, let's, let's use the metaphor of pregnancy. You don't just insta baby. You go through a gestation period mm-hmm. and then you go through a postpartum period, you know, and that's, that's a really important thing to not be lost in this conversation is that when you go through a psychedelic life transforming experience, you need to have time to prepare for what that's going to do to you potentially. And you need to have support in integrating the changes that come from that experience. The absence of that could, could, and I'm saying this on purpose, could make things worse than before. To anyone who's listening and thinking about this, please do not enter into this without really doing some soul searching and talking to some people. Your right guide is not necessarily the most credentialed, though I think some training is really important. Yes, but it's the one that you feel the safest with. Because a big part of this process is about tuning back in to our own divine inner knowing, inner wisdom, intuition. And that starts in trusting yourself around doing this, around who you do it with, around in what context you do it, which medicine you use. That is all the raw material that begins the process of the healing before you even get into the medicine space. Yes. I was just going to say that, like that is tuning back into our intuition and our body consciousness is wildly important when you're feeling out any kind of healing work, any kind of catalyst into soul's work, into trauma work, into shadow work, whatever it is, what is your body saying? Not what is your mind saying? Not what is your fear brain or your control brain saying, but what does your body say? Does your body tense up? Does your heart open? Do you relax? Does your body feel like, oh, this, this feels scary? Like, do you get like a fear response? Mm-hmm. That's what I want people to be feeling into in all of life. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. And sometimes people I'll ask questions like that when I'm going through a prep preparation process with people. And sometimes people can't feel mm-hmm. And that's its own sort of important information. So what can we do to help you start to feel a little bit before we go into that space? Because I don't want you to go into that space from not feeling anything to feeling everything without some sort of transition. That's too much too soon. Yes. This has been really informative. I love it so much. I wanted to have a even just a structural conversation about this because we're not good at balance in our culture. You know, we're all or nothing. We're immediate gratification. That's what the systems have created for us. Like take a pill, get rid of your symptoms, keep staying on the hamster wheel. So we hear about people having these ayahuasca experiences that like create this new spiritual realm. And then this is what we don't hear about is that there can become an addiction right? Mm -hmm. Because we have a culture of addiction because we're coming from a place of lack. 
And so mm-hmm. then you suddenly find something that's creating um, an evolution for you, an elevation, a uh, euphoric feeling. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, instead of doing the work, which is the integration, that's what mm-hmm. I really want to come to because the integration of anything in life is, I feel like where we've been missing the mark. Totally. But if you, if you miss that integration, then you just keep going for the high. Mm-hmm. So I have lots of thoughts on this in a succinct fashion. I think, so the, there, there is research on this, like this, the stats of people getting addicted to things like psilocybin or ayahuasca, statistically speaking, are pretty low, but I know what you're referring to. And what I would say is happening is people become addicted to actually feeling their body Mm -hmm. because they're so cut off, desensitized, anesthetized that they're like, they just keep dragging themselves through these like intense experiences, even though they'll come to me saying it was terrible. It was terrible, but I want to keep searching. I'm like, Mm, okay, we need to unpack this and figure out what's really happening here. Because, and again, it goes to your point, prep work and integration work. They're like bookends and the ceremony is the sacred thing that happens in the middle. People need to understand what, what is it that they're drawn to, especially if they're saying and reporting that their experiences in the space are terrible, which is often what happens. They're like, that was the hardest, worst experience of my life, but I want to do it again. I'm like, okay, well, we need to figure out what that's all about. And maybe we need to look for other catalysts. Maybe we need to look for other avenues of finding, you know, that space within yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, what, so if you were going to wrap up, (laughs) this Mm -hmm. has been a fan. I love this conversation. I feel like we could go forever. What would be the takeaway that you really want people to integrate from this conversation about their experience. If someone's out there searching, they know, cause this is happening. The energies are creating mm-hmm. a new space for everyone. The energies, even the physical world is creating this. Like we're looking at our mortality in a different way. We're looking at the way that we live our lives in a different way. Like this huge shift that has happened and moving into the age of Aquarius, you know, we're looking at all new energies of our sovereignty and the way that we bring our sovereignty into the collective. So if people are feeling this call inside, but they don't know where to go, they don't know even how to access it. What would be your best advice for someone who knows that they need something? They know something's happening inside, but they're still a little fearful, right? They still have that fear response, but how do they even begin looking into this journey? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the first, the first and most important step is what we talked about a little bit before, which is like trying to get in touch with your intuition. Like you, so your, your, your starting point is the intuitive knowing. I don't like the way this feels. I want it to be different. Mm -hmm. I always say to clients, great. That's the perfect place to start but I don't know what now that's okay. It's okay. It is totally okay to just know you want it to change and to not be clear on how. And so now you use that same sort of intuitive knowing to inform your curiosity. What are the things that like speak to you that get your attention? 
one of my first and best teachers and guides in this life always says, like, if your heart is open and you're seeking, the universe will put little signs up all over in your landscape to guide you along the way. And so that can happen in all sorts of ways. You can just seemingly stumble upon an article that pops up in your feed, or you can bump into a person you haven't seen in years and they're doing the thing and you get a strong intuitive yes. So it, it doesn't have to be forced. It doesn't have to become this like linear thing because that's a re repetition of the cultural sort of drive to like problem solve problem solve. Mm-hmm. It's all about returning to intuition and curiosity, being open and receptive. What are the things that present themselves? And then as those things present themselves to you that you get a, huh, that feels like there's something there. The next step is to make contact, reach out and explore that thing. See if you continue to get the yes energy. And if you don't use the no energy to help you course correct. It's okay. There is no right or wrong. It's just conscious choice. And there's also no way to to make a conscious choice without trying a thing on for size. So I think the most important thing is, is that it's like rooting in your intuition, letting your curiosity guide you, staying open, and just taking the information in a way of like, oh, that felt like a strong yes, or it didn't. And even if it doesn't, it's not a problem. It doesn't mean, okay, it's closed and this isn't my answer. It just means, no, it's pointing me in a different direction. Absolutely. It's more information. And I'm going to add, literally ask your guides for help. Yeah. Like whatever guides you believe are there, I promise you they are ancestors, Mm -hmm. angels, your source energy, your intuitive knowingness, like go to bed at night and ask for a clear sign, ask for that help. And then you get the song lyrics that just show up or you get the sign while you're driving, you know, you get all like, that's the thing. They're not random. They are occurrences that are coming in your field for a reason. Cosmic design. (laughs) Yes. I think that that's the perfect ending right there. What Micah just said, write it down, put it on post-it note. This is the thing we have been programmed through all of our senses. Change those programs. Yes. Just piggyback off of that. I know we're trying to end, but you keep saying things that make me want to add to them. So (laughs) our culture is full of toxic subliminal messages. Mm -hmm. The only way to create a counterpoint to that is to put in our own intentional subliminal messages. So absolutely fill your space with the things you want to hold and embody as your sovereign self truth. Put those reminders all over your, your space. Yes. So I love that it. you can reinforce it and hold it. Post-it notes y'all. yeah and really feel out people because we're here to help each other and there are so many people coming online with their spiritual gifts with their soul's Mm -hmm. mission and when you're tapped in and tuned in to the frequency that's coming online we all want to help each other we are Mm -hmm. all here for each other so seek out the people and is your body magnetized to them? Is their message like getting your cells yeah. excited? 
Like, do Mm -hmm. they make you feel like something's possible that you don't even know, or you never knew existed? Mm -hmm. I love that. So true. Yes. And you make me feel like that, Micah, you really do. You have such a beautiful presence and such a beautiful soul. I'm so blessed that we got to work with each other in that way. And we got to make this exchange happen. So tell us who we're going to go to the last question here. Who would your dream guest be and why? Mm, I love this question. So my first sort of spirit guide in my life was my grandfather on my mother's side. And he left this body early. In fact, days before that car wreck that I mentioned before, he left his body, he left this life. And I really believe on a spirit level with the wisdom that I have now that his exit was a kind of message and a call to awakening within my family system. And everyone grieved his absence. I, of course, was sad because he was like the safe man, the just like divine masculine in my world. So it was tragic for me on some level for him to go. But I also, I feel like I came to life when he left because he passed a torch to me. And from the very first time I stepped into the medicine space and often in that space, he appears to sort of give me information. And I so often say to him in that space, like I'd give anything if we could sit down together and just talk it out because I was a kid when he left. And so our souls, I think are talking all the time, but to have the opportunity to really like just have a chat with him, like you and I are chatting now would be such a blessing. (laughs) I love that. And my thought is, as you were saying that, I'm like, I'm feeling like something was really correlated between his passing and your accident, something really powerful there. Like maybe he was there to protect you in that accident. It's funny you say that. So his nickname for me, which is my Instagram name is was Sugarfoot. (laughs) He always called me Sugarfoot. And my only sort of injury, if you will, which was very mild, given the scope of that accident was a cut on my foot. Whoa. I never really thought about that before, but it might've just been his way of letting me know he was there. I have Mm -hmm. full body chills right now. (laughs) That's amazing. Yes. It's so profound y'all. Let's go so much deeper. There is layers. There is like greatness. There is such joy and ease and abundance, like just waiting to burst Mm -hmm. out. And Micah, thank you for being the catalyst for so many people being the catalyst in this life and doing the work. I mean, it's like such a, I always say the reward and the work are two sides to one coin, you know, when, when we do get comfortable sort of rolling around in our own shadows and stuff, that's where the joy, it grows right out of that. Right. Thank you for the opportunity to have a really important conversation. And I hope that it reaches the people. I trust that it will reach the people that need it most. Yes, queen. (laughs) It's all about that trust. Everything that we emanate when we can trust it, it does exactly what it needs to do. Totally. 
Oh my gosh. Tell everybody where they can get a hold of you. Give them your deets. It's real important. <laughs> so you can find out more about my work at my website, which is micastoverconsulting.com. And there's a lot of information there. And I also, you can find me on Instagram at micasugarfoot. I try to post pretty consistent content there. And, um, yeah, from my website, you can find links to articles that go into the work more specifically. I contribute to an organization called WHOOP, which is Women on Psychedelics, and they're just an amazing platform for really curating regular, consistent content, specifically geared towards women working and healing in this world. So you can find lots of my content there as well. And I'll just say, too, before we go, because it would not feel complete for me not to, that it's so beautiful to have this conversation with you because I do see you as a person who stood as like a touchstone in the beginning of a really critical transformation process. And I, you know, as we were just saying, I don't think that's any sort of accident. So it's just really beautiful and feels so complete to have the conversation with you today. Ah, yes. Yes. Oh, tell everybody about your book. That's about to come out. Oh, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> it is called Out of the Hurt. It's a prescriptive memoir. So what does that mean? It, it started out in its first iteration as my story. Somewhere along the way, the medicine told me, okay, this is your story, but it's much more than that. It's our story. It's about how do you do this work safely, intentionally, consciously. And so the structure of the book really mirrors the, the protocol or the arc that I was describing before of what I see as critical to supporting the, the efficacy of the work. So it starts with part one being about how you prepare for the journey. And it's kind of like my, my coach voice, really instructing and guiding people. How do you go about it? There's little splices of my own narrative in there, but it's mostly instructional. The middle section are all sort of allegorical stories taken straight from the medicine space. So they're very Jungian dreamscape kind of things that people might anticipate some version of their own seeing in the medicine space. That's really important for people, I think, because there's a lot of fear about what's going to happen in there when I see my shadows. And so I've really tried to show how the shadows become the light in that space. So that's part two. And then part three is all about the integration. Oh, section. yes. So <laughs> what does that mean to take all of that stuff that came up in part two and translate it back into your everyday life? Mm, yes. I've got to tell you all, I randomly ended up in this writing class with Micah. It was such a beautiful surprise. And her writing is so poignant, so beautiful. I can't wait for you to read this book. Like it's, it's art. It is like true art. Aww. I was, I was so wildly impressed with your writing. Aww. Thank you again, Micah, Thank for your time, you. your presence, yeah. your energy. Yeah. This has been a really fun conversation. All right, y'all until next time. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. And with that, let's normalize the struggles celebrate the quirks and lean into the light from myself and Beezus the Brave. Happy Wild Heart Revolution, friends. Off the cuff. <laughs> Kudos to you because I didn't get an outline to you and I think that we rocked it. Our alignment just carried us through. It sure did.